Hi, I'm Natalie from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm Zach from Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, I'm Kent from Denver. The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like me. If you'd like to support the show like I did, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. Uh, My guest on the program is comedian Mark Maron. He's been a comedian for many years, uh, was not is a leader of what some people have called the alternative comedy world, first in New York City, now in Los Angeles. He's shaking his head at me as though I'm saying something wrong. Um, He's recently transformed his career significantly with his podcast, WTF, which is also a public radio show, which I I should mention I am one of the producers of the public radio version, um, which has become one of the most popular comedy podcasts in America and uh, I think has significantly transformed his standing in the world of entertainment, though perhaps not as significantly as he might like. Uh, Mark, welcome back to The Sound of Young America. Thank you, Jesse. And I'd like to add that I could not have done any of it without you, without uh, (laughs) you uh, patiently coming over to my house and walking me through the the path of GarageBand, telling me which mics to get, telling me where to... Like, I literally, my knowledge of GarageBand is still limited to exactly what you told me to do. So you had been you have been uh, you've been a stand up comedian for many years now, mm. um, twenty plus years Easy. at this point, and um, and you had had these various sort of uh, mass media implementations of your talents, you know, kind of. The first time you were on the Sound of Young America, I think it was maybe more than ten years ago now. And you were, I think, just about to launch. It had been announced, but you had not yet launched the morning show on Air America. Air yeah. America was a new idea, right? Um, and you were about to become its morning host. You hosted that show for a number of years. You hosted a weekend show on Air America, if I'm remembering correctly. It's a weird story behind both of those, though. I mean, it wasn't really just a hosting job. What it was like a it was it was like a weird. It was like a because it was a completely new thing, Air America. Well, I I'd never done radio before, and I was sitting in L.A. I just moved here. I just bought a house. Uh, I had a deal with Fox TV that went south, so I had a little money saved. And uh, the woman I was with at that time talked me into a buying a house. So we bought a house. I bought a house, and I kept the house. Thank you very much. But I'm over all that, so we don't even need to address any of it. But nonetheless, I get this call from Janine Garofalo, who says, "Look, they're doing this thing." Um, it's Air America. It's going to be a lefty uh, political network or radio network. And I'm like, well, my intention was not being really a political comic, but being a reactionary comic uh, was to help uh, take down this regime. Like it was more of a political (laughs) thing that they saw it as a full day of programming. It was a full network of radio programming. So when I got there, I was on the air with uh, Sue Ellicott, Mark Riley, myself, and, and nobody was driving. It was just this idea that it was going to be a collective and, and we'd all do this or that. And I literally was not a political guy. I mean, I was a reactionary, classic, just sort of like, you know, screw that. That guy sucks. Uh, And this is why I had a general sense of hypocrisy and injustice. But (laughs) 
you, you frankly probably had a pretty well-developed sense yeah. of hypocrisy and injustice. But I wasn't a wonk. And I was so insecure about doing political talk radio. So I get this job and I go out and buy like uh, American government for dummies, you know, because my my sense of how legislation works and how many senators there were. And I knew basically how many branches of government there were. But, you know, really, uh, I, I got concerned that I was going to have to talk in detail. <laughs> You're watching Schoolhouse Rock just in case sure. it comes up. I, I did. And uh, and I was very uh, awkward about that. I had a tremendous amount of insecurity. But then I eventually ended up driving the show. And what I did was I had, there were all these comics hanging around. And these guys were brilliant. I knew a lot of them at stand-ups, and many of them were ex-Daily Show writers. You had Jim Earl, you had Tom Johnson, you had uh, Barry Lank, Mike Ferrucci, uh, A. Whitney Brown was there. So these guys are just hanging around, dying to do something. So what we started to do once Sue Ellicott left, and once you know Mark Riley became basically the news guy and sideman, was we did comedy and we scripted comedy and we Which created is something that doesn't happen on radio in the United no, States. Not at all. And it was well-scripted stuff, and all of it you know, was character-driven. There were episodic things. And that that You show, did a new version of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Yeah, I, did we? No. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I, 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 My memory's a little hazy. <laughs> but I do know that we, we did a lot of original comedy, and a lot of it was pretty amazing. And that show, Morning Sedition, still has a, a tremendously loyal fan base. Uh, they, they, people have archived the comedy material and some of it was just great. It was like, to me, it, it was more reminiscent of, of Lampoon's Lemmings or, or that radio, the Lemmings Radio Hour, the National Lampoon Radio Hour and that type of stuff. Cause he had all these great comics that were being paid and they were just hanging out. Kent Jones was another one. I don't think though that you ever had a perspective that was about the politics. I mean, you have always been really had a really specifically personal perspective well that's why we brought in the writers because i wanted to make sure we honored the politics of the day and and i had certain reactions and certainly i i got a, a very hands-on education about politics but i did personalize everything and after a while uh, you become disillusioned and the show that i did here uh, for a year, the Mark Marin show at night was this weird situation. I got pushed out of Air America by an idiot program director. Well, Air uh, America spent the first eight years, of, had spent its entire existence flailing around trying to figure out how to make a new kind of radio that works. How well, to, there was a lot of problems, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what, what, it had so little to do with radio and so much to do with egos, money, weird deals, and everything else. But I do know a very specific person came in as a CEO, Danny Goldberg, and decided that irreverence was not relevant and that he wanted it to be NPR. And we said, well, there's already an NPR. And he pushed me out. But there were people within the organization who wanted to keep me in. As, in, in they set me up out here at KTLK, and they didn't even want me there. <laughs> it, it, it was the worst thing, Jesse. I mean, you know, I get out there, you know, they were mad at me. They didn't like me because Stephanie Miller was mad at me because when she, we used to be on the morning here in LA because they used to repeat the show once in real time at three to six, and then they'd repeat it six to ten, nine, and then they put Stephanie on live. And because I was upset about that and didn't have any sense of, of, of decorum or, or social politics or even business politics uh which i learned at air america i learned that there's politics and everything and if you don't well, behave I don't, yourself i don't think you learned a sense of decorum did you no i wouldn't but, say that's your strength no but like i used to know that i was going off the air right. you know at at six or 10 to six in new york and that stephanie was going to then 
you know, be preparing to go on the air. And I would say shitty things about her. So she was pissed off at me. So I get out here and these people that were at America, they wanted to give me an evening show. So the program director hated me and then made me go apologize to Stephanie. And she, I'm sure, still doesn't like me. And then they stuck me on at 11 at night when there wasn't a Clippers game or or one of the, they still, the, 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 the station still had a deal with the sports, local sports. So your so, audience, I think it's fair to say, is basically perfectly coincidental. You know, it's like a the Venn diagram of your fans and Clippers fans. It's just one circle and one color. They, yeah. No, it was easy for them to make the transition. Yeah. <laughs> but no, what would happen was we would sit there if the game ran into overtime, waiting to start our show. They put us in Siberia, man. And then eventually we, we said, that, you know, screw this. Let's pre-record the show. I'm, I'm getting off on a lot of stuff. You were building some other sort of, uh, you're, you're sort of going through my history. But that was a rough time and a weird time. And that Mark Marin show was a lot less political. And it was just me and Jim Earl. And then that sort of trickled away. And then they wanted me back. And I said, no. <laughs> And then I eventually ended up going back there in desperation and broke when a new CEO came in with new money to do the break room live show at Cedar, which was, wow, working with Sam. Dad, I don't even, I can't even explain it. Never again would be a way I would put it. <laughs> Though I love Sam. It's a, it's a weird thing when you can say that about somebody. Love the guy, never will work with him again. Love him though. <laughs> Don't worry, there's good news on the horizon. My guest, Mark Marin, turns it all around after a break. I've got people coming to my shows now that have never been to a stand-up show. I've got people, you know, traveling hundreds of miles to come see my shows alone. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI. Public Radio, International. Production of the Sound of Young America is supported in part by the menswear blog, Put This On, presenting the Put This On Gentlemen's Association. Members receive a handmade pocket handkerchief in the mail every 60 days. Gift memberships available. Shipments begin December 1st with delivery before Christmas. More information at putthison.com. And by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. Hi, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Travis McElroy. I'm Griffin McElroy. We're three brothers. It's not a coincidence. We have a show. It's called My Brother, My Brother Me. It's an advice show for the modern era. Uh, sometimes we also take questions from the Yahoo Answer Service. Hey, guys, how many push-ups does it take to look like a werewolf? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fine question, Griffin. We'll answer that one and so much more, including questions from readers about love and navigating the waters of society. Subscribe on iTunes or get it online at MaximumFun.org. We're brothers. We're experts. And we're sorry. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Mark Marin. He's a stand-up comedian and the host of the podcast and public radio program, WTF. Full disclosure, I'm one of the producers of the public radio show. We're talking about his days at Air America Radio. After the end of The Morning Sedition, his first show, and then The Mark Marin Show, his second show, he briefly returned to the network to host a webcast with Sam Cedar. But that didn't last either. They went bankrupt, by the way. They didn't fire us. I mean, they were struggling, and we were costing too much money. It wasn't like a, a, a quality thing. It was literally just... 
we're running out of money. You guys got to go. And thankfully, they didn't take away our security card. So that's when me and Brendan started doing WTF was we'd go in after hours with our cards. We knew the night guy and we just hijacked the studios. So, so Brendan was a producer who had worked with you in, d- in all the beginning. these, ver- in these yeah. various capacities yeah. and had done other things in between in the world of radio. Yeah. So you were basically in a position where you were, you were like in the aftermath of a divorce or were you, were you still dealing with that stuff actively when Today? you started WTF? <laughs> <laughs> Today, I think I'm, I'm I'm over it. No, yeah, absolutely, dude. I mean, I was uh, it was horrible. I mean, I was uh, emotionally wasted. Uh, I was broke. Um, you know, I did save some money, but a lot of that was going to to paying for lawyers and 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 finally, you, you know, just paying her to leave me alone. So you had had to, you had had a successful stand-up career. I mean, you had been a very regular guest on uh, the Conan O'Brien show. You were a nationally headlining comedian. Where was your where was your stand-up career relative to? It, it was nowhere because you know I had a national stand-up career. I had a presence, and I think I was respected by my peers. But over the years between radio and this and that, I never really understood the idea of building relationships with club owners. I never understood the idea that, you know, when you perform at a club, it's, it's not there to just service your creativity. You have to sell (laughs) tickets and drinks. It's good. If you have some consistency to your show and perhaps build in markets, none of that. Uh, I knew none of that. It was, and I, I pissed off a few people and people misread me as arrogant. And I think that once I did political radio, uh, that hurt me even more that I was not an, uh, a ticket seller, and now I was a room divider. I didn't sell tickets. Uh, I did. You know, I was on Conan O'Brien a lot. I'd done HBO specials, but I never clicked in, in a Broadway culturally. So I, and there's no way to manufacture that. No one knows why someone all of a sudden becomes a, 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 a huge act. So it's usually just one half-hour special that changes everything, but that never happened for me. So I was never a big seller, but I was a guy, you know, people knew who I was, but I did not sell tickets. And, and I can, you know, speculate on that, but it, it probably just come from my insecurity and there's no reason to do that. And you also, I mean, I think that you described in part what was going on, which was that you had never, you had never done the things to make each thing that you were doing in your career build on the last thing that you I, were I doing. I never had the confidence or the forethought. I never, uh, like, I really think in retrospect what I was doing and why I was doing comedy was to not be invisible, was to figure out who I was, was to try to share whatever it was I was sharing, which a lot of people did not have a common experience. I was not framing it in, in a way. Uh, but it was not everyone's cup of tea. It was very few people's cup of tea. And I'm not sure it wasn't, you know, emotionally exhausting for, for people. I, I'm, I will, I'm in a weird point in my life right now, man. Sometimes people leave my show saying, that guy's hilarious. Other times they leave saying, you know, I hope he's okay. <laughs> I'm a little concerned, <laughs> but I think he'll be okay. I sometimes I feel like when I when I'm listening to WTF or I'm seeing you on stage, it's it's like you have a, a hammer and you're on a bridge and you're trying and you're hitting the bridge and you're just wondering what is the hit that will make the vibration that makes the bridge collapse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've collapsed a lot of bridges. 
I've burned them. I've collapsed them. But Deb- I, I, as time goes on, though, I, 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 I find that, look, because of WTF, you know, I, I, whether or not it was my goal or whether or not it, it, you know, pride was involved or, or whether or not I couldn't really do it any other way, which I think is really what the truth of the matter is, is that I've got people coming to my shows now that have never been to a stand-up show. I've got people you know, traveling hundreds of miles to come see my shows alone. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> so, I just like the idea that your that your audience is actually at the stand up show. It's not bachelorette parties or people on dates. It's just a lot of people who just came by themselves. They're a reading a book before the show starts. There's definitely a lot of those, but you know, still uh, in some cities I'm selling out. In other cities, it's it's still half of a house of those people, and then regular people. I don't I don't uh, yeah I don't do the sort of rock club thing where I'm only looking to get my audience i'm still doing comedy clubs i think out of spite and out of uh, a sense of that i'm entitled to them because i went through a lot of years <laughs> i mean i came up in a time where you know the payoff was you headline at a comedy club and there's still part of my ethic that is about that that i want to believe and i want to feel like i'm entertaining people that are just there for an evening of comedy there's some part of me that is doing that you know out of uh, I, I, I'm a weird mixture of i earned this and spite it's the sound of young america i'm jesse thorne my guest is mark Marin. he's a stand-up comedian and the host of wtf a podcast and public radio show full disclosure i'm one of the producers of the public radio show his new comedy cd is called this has to be funny here's a clip from it so now i'm on a train a subway here in new york worrying about being in my head And a woman walks onto the train with a box, and in the box is an ice cream maker. I know because it's on the box. And immediately, like that, I go, fuck, I love ice cream. I need an ice cream maker. I've got to get an ice cream maker. How do you even make ice cream? How do you make chocolate ice cream? Could I make ice cream as good as the ice cream you get in the store? Because that would be fucking amazing. I read on the label of Haagen-Dazs that there's eggs in it. Do you freeze eggs and the germs go away? Is it okay to put eggs in ice cream? Is eggs in all ice cream? How do you make vanilla ice cream? I fucking love ice cream. I don't think I could have an ice cream maker because that'd be like living with a drug dealer. I mean, how, how would I handle that? I, but I would love to make good chocolate ice cream. And then I just, I literally had to say, dude, get out of your head. And then I had to stop myself from yelling out loud at the woman, I guess you can handle it. I, I want to ask you about you on stage, and I'll get back to the sort of evolution of WTF in a second. But you, you did a set at Max FunCon, our um, annual... Uh, I don't know what you would call it, retreat yeah. in, in the woods here in Southern California. And you were worried before the set because everyone at Max FunCon is really um, friendly <laughs> and happy. <laughs> and you were reading that as not your crowd. Um, and you went on stage and, and you know, it is, uh, if anything, if there was any defining characteristic for that audience, besides being friendly and happy, it's that they love great comedy. And you did really well. Um, and I want to say maybe it was going to be like a half hour set or something like that. You did half an hour and it was like, it was a great half hour set and you killed, you know, you had the audience, you were moving them, you know, you were pulling the levers. It was fantastic. And I saw you up there at that point where it was like half an hour and you could just get off stage and, and be the conqueror. You know, this great headlining set and this show with other great comedians and you topped everybody, etc. 
And I could just see in your eyes, like, no, 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 no. I can't let this be a perfect success. And so you immediately, in fact, you may have narrated this on stage. <laughs> okay. I think this has been pretty good. Did you want to talk about something in particular? <laughs> to you, it seemed like the idea that you were doing well just meant that you had an opportunity to do something uh, to go further in order to do uh, less well. I, um, well, I think that what that is, it's not so much less well is that like I get the sometimes I get the feeling that like it, when I do bits at work and uh, especially like now, like I just got done with like really six months on the road and I'm very tired of the bits, but all the bits that I've been doing for the last few months have evolved and some of them are very new and I'm very happy with them. But but they're I think it's more about not self-sabotage, but more like, okay, you think you know me? How about this now? But at a risk of uh, being too much information guy, which I am anyways, I'll share some things with you. If, you're, if, I'm, not, uh, if I'm not draining you yet. <laughs> you never see that on blurbs for shows, you know. Draining! I, must say. <laughs> I feel like you are requiring something more of the audience rather than that, that you see this as an opportunity to like, to, to push the audience more. Well, I, I, I think that's true, and I'm, I'm not sure that I can exactly tell you where that comes from. But, but a lot of what you're saying, the agenda is not so much to find something that isn't funny that, that I can try to make funny, but it is how I write. And a lot of times when I've got an audience that, that has loved me for a, ha- a half an hour and that I can do no wrong by, part of me thinks like, well, let's see, this just happened, or, or I have not been able to process this on stage yet, so these people like me, so let's take it out. You know, let's put it out there and, and see if I can make it funny. And that doesn't always work, but it's really where the process starts. And a lot of times now with the podcast, I talk about this stuff without an audience, and then the process is starting there, that I think that because of this medium, we can discuss things that don't need to be funny, and we can just be honest, and we can be ourselves on these mics, and people have that kind of relationship with us. So that translates to the comedy club as well to me, too, is that I've made a lot of this stuff that I've talked about on the podcast, bigger uh, uh, stage pieces, and they are different. It's different to listen to them uh, when they come out improvisationally on the podcast and when they've developed into a stage piece with a group of people, it's different to listen like that. But a lot of times on a comedy stage, I'm like, all right, I've built this rapport. Uh, now I got to talk about this sick shit, you know, or I, now I got to bring this up because this is like something I haven't been able to process yet. So it's not so much like I'm defying them to like me, but that's how I generate material. So it might not have been the best time to do that. <laughs> And there's probably an element of what you're saying in it, but it's really just sort of like, I, I trust you. Let's see what happens with this. And I think I can probably end strong again, maybe. It's the sound of young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Mark Marin. He's a stand-up comedian and the host of WTF, a podcast and public radio show. Full disclosure, I'm one of the producers of the public radio show. His new comedy CD is called This Has to Be Funny. Your show, WTF, is uh, in large part an interview show. Um, it opens with a sort of uh, conversational monologue, um, and occasionally there's an element that isn't a straight-up interview. Uh, but it's an interview show where largely, uh, not quite exclusively, but largely other comedians come on the show. And it, it was it was like this from the very start, that... 
you know, I, I, when I interview somebody, I'm interviewing them in a public radio e way where I sort of usually, we, we know each other better, so I'm a little more forward in this interview. But usually I sort of offer an opening to someone and see what they do with it, you know. I feel like one of the main things that you do on your show and have always done on your show is try and find a way to generate a supercharged atmosphere, whether it it was often, especially earlier on in the show when you were dealing with people that you had close relationships with, talking about horrible things that you'd done to them in the past or awkward interactions that you'd had with them in the past. But you're always, you're always sort of taking well enough that they usually come on being polite to you and you to them and then finding something to tug on until everything is charged. Yeah, well, I mean, you're one of the few people that that doesn't just happen with naturally. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, and, and, as, as, as a testament to your talent, as, as, a, as a decent human being and a, and a, and a gracious host, uh, I mean, you're describing my relationship with most people. So I think a lot of times the intensity of the dynamic in my show it's just who I am. And, and I'll usually, it's, it's become sort of a ongoing amends project. And a lot of times when I think I've had problems or said things to people that have offended them, uh, I, they, they didn't even think about it. But you know, for me, it's also a way to get the conversation into a personal form. Like I don't see what I'm doing as interviews as much as I do, uh, conversations about, you know, things that are, that are, that drive us or that, 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 that haunt us or, or that, uh, we struggle with because that's almost every conversation in my life. I'm a, I'm a fairly forthcoming guy. I'm a too much information guy. It's, it's odd, but the people that I don't have any history with or, or don't have any real uh, issues with, uh, it's a little more challenging for me to do an interview because it's not about me. <laughs> so there's something about, um, there's something about a fraught, the mix of a fraught situation and humor is really powerful. I mean, it's like the driving force behind, if you go see even the most uh, amazing improv show, if I go see Ascat here in Los Angeles at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater with some of the most brilliant improvisers on earth who have been doing it for 20 years, if I take that outside of the context of the situation being fraught by the fact that these people could fail at any time, it bec- it's kind of funny, but it's not super funny. Um, well, I think you just described who I am. I am a fraught emotional situation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and hopefully between me and my guest, uh, there, will, there, will, there will be some relief to that. So in this two years of doing this show, part of what listeners have heard is you sort of manhandling yourself into... A different person you starting off in this place where um you know for reasons real and imagined probably you're a disaster area um and it feels like this has been a kind of a transformational thing for you no oh, there's no doubt i mean m- from where i started where i was completely afraid of of drifting into you know complete irrelevance you know, on, on any level and, and being completely devastated emotionally and, and, you know, consumed with suicidal ruminations and revenge fantasies 
and uh, and having you know ultimately what has happened to me in in speaking freely on in this in this medium in the podcast medium and speaking freely to friends was that I realized that you know, my struggles were not unusual that most people a lot of their energy goes into you know getting by in their job getting by in their relationship you know trying to deal with the despair they're hiding or their own you know existential questions or career disappointments or dreams fading or or disappearing that for self-involved people and for people that come from a creative uh, disposition or even from a certain emotional disposition, these are day-to-day struggles. And these, these are what I talk about and, 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 and people have them. And so because of the podcast, I feel like I finally am grounded in myself in, in, in a very, not even a general way that I feel like I've arrived at me, which I think was always the agenda with my creativity. Well, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America again. We're done? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. 30-minute segments on my show, Mark. Oh, really? Did you, is there anything you needed to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Mark Marin is the host of the podcast and public radio program, WTF. You can find it online at WTFpod.com. His new comedy CD is called This Has to Be Funny. You can find it in your uh, local compact disc and MP3 outlets. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Mark. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor is Nick White. Our intern is Colin Walzak. That's Colin with two L's for those of you keeping score at home. If you have thoughts about the show, you can always send me an email. My email address is jesse at MaximumFun.org. And always remember, all good radio hosts have a signature sign-off.